from Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share inspiring conversations to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebilagin. I'm trying the coconut water berry breakfast cereal. I had blueberries, strawberries, pomegranate, coconut water. I like ice with my cereal. That, friends, is the sound of Lizzo enjoying nature's cereal on TikTok. These days we have TikTok to thank for some of the biggest food and nutrition trends around, from the weird and wonderful to the ones worth avoiding altogether. There's custard toast, pesto eggs, profi. That's mixing protein shake with your coffee, by the way. So how can you tell the good ones from the bad ones? Great question, and the reason we asked a top nutrition expert to join us on the podcast this week. The founder of Verde Nutrition Co., Chloe McLeod, is an advanced sports dietitian and accredited practicing dietitian who specializes in gut health, food intolerance, and sports nutrition. She joins our commissioning editor, Alex Davies, to go through some of the biggest foodie trends on social media, including that one Lizzo loves, and how to make them work for you. So I'd love to start with, before we get into the individual trends that we're going to talk about, your general advice, I guess, when it comes to nutrition and food content on social media, there's so much of it, you know, how do we, I guess, approach that in a healthy way? You know, what should we keep in mind when we're getting our inspiration from platforms like TikTok, Instagram, when it comes to our food? I think it's a really great point to raise at the start of the chat today, Alex, because there is so much nutrition info out there on social media and you know it can be a real mindful with some really excellent quality information from, from qualified health professionals to all sorts of random suggestions of things that don't really have science behind them at all. So I guess the the main thing that I would be suggesting is just check where you're getting your information from. Um, there's a lot of unqualified, you know, experts out there who who sprout all sorts of things. Um, and also keeping in mind that on socials, it is general information. So it is great for tips and tricks and for learning different bits and pieces, which can be super helpful. But it's always good to get some personalized advice if you're wanting to work, work on something specific or wanting to learn about something in a little bit more depth as well. I wondered if there are any, I guess, red flags maybe in that sense or green flags, perhaps, you know, things that maybe, you know, if we read them or see them on a post should make us go, oh, hang on a sec, you know, maybe that's not, you know, how a qualified professional would talk about something or present something maybe. Yeah, it's a great question. So probably a couple of red flags are um, if it sounds too good to be true, then um, it probably is, unfortunately. <laughs> a bit of a rule of thumb to go go by. And this particularly lands for me when people are talking about different supplements and things that just are making all sorts of wild claims. And, you know, if they are then and they're, they're backed by science, then that's great. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of supplements that are out there that don't fit the bill there and other other claims around different things as well. I think the other red flag, really key red flag to me is if it's like I've got this secret new thing and, you know, you're on TikTok or Insta or, or whatever social platform it is, chances are if it's actually something that works and is true, 
then it's not going to be some secret trend on social media. It will be, you know, wide out there in the media. You know, people are going to know about it if it is something which is evidence-based because the people who have researched it and found it, they're going to be shouting it from the rooftops because they're going to want to help everybody, not just, you know, share a, a secret trend on whichever platform it might be. Thinking green flags, check out who you're following, um, what qualifications they've got. So, you know, are they an accredited practicing dietitian or a sports dietitian? Um, are they an accredited nutritionist? And looking for the, that actual level of qualification. Unfortunately, there's, you know, a lot of difference between qualification levels with, you know, some people calling themselves nutritionists when they've just done, you know, a few day course whereas other nutritionists have done multi-year degrees in order to gain their qualification. Um, and then the same with dietitians. All dietitians will have had to do some quite extensive university-level training to be able to call themselves a dietitian. So just make sure that who you're, you're following and who you're getting advice from you know, has that back, educated background, not someone who's you know, using that wheat fix box for um, you know, for their driver's license, so to speak, <laughs> if I'm allowed to use that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chloe. Okay, great. Well, let's launch into the, the fun stuff, the delicious stuff, hopefully. So the first one we wanted to start with, which you and I have just been talking about, is this huge trend of custard yogurt toast. And it's essentially about making and baking a custard on toast and topping it with things like berries or whatever you like. And you make the custard pretty simply with an egg, yogurt and maple syrup or honey. It sounds and looks pretty delicious. You know, what do you reckon? Has this got good good potential, good nutrition potential? Yeah, I think um, this is a, a really fun one and it does have some really great nutritional um, nutrition potential. It's ticking a lot of boxes. So when you're making the custard this way um, from a fresh egg, you know, there's a, there's a really nice amount of protein in that custard. And then whether you're using some honey or some maple syrup, as well as the yogurt that's, you know, adding some extra protein from the yogurt and as well as that sweetness coming from, from the syrup or the honey. Um, if you choose whole grain bread um, or, a, or a higher fiber bread, then that means it's going to be some lower GI carbohydrate, which helps to feed those healthy gut bugs and will help to fill you up a little bit more as well. And then, you know, if you're topping it with some berries, maybe a little bit of extra yogurt, if you wanted to, um, you know, you could even maybe sprinkle some seeds or something on the top of it as well to really amp up the nutritional potential for that, then, you know, you can make that into a, a really quite healthy meal, which which is great. And, you know, I know before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, you could make it a bit more of a, a treat type thing if you put it on some brioche style bread. But if you're really wanting it to be super healthy, then using more that whole grain style bread would be a great option. And when you mentioned about um, the lower GI kind of element to certain types of bread, can you just outline for us what you're talking about there? Yeah, of course. So GI refers to glycemic index, and that's looking at how quickly carbohydrates are broken down by your body. So something which is really high GI breaks down quickly and can cause a spike in blood sugar. So an example of that would be like soft drink or just, just straight sugar, like table sugar on its own. Whereas lower GI things break down much more slowly and give a, a nice, even steady spread of energy um, over over time, and they don't cause that spike in blood sugar. It's quite a much more steady, stable thing that happens. 
some examples of lower GI things like the whole grain bread I mentioned, or maybe you could be looking at things like quinoa, brown rice, um, chickpeas and lentils are are low GI. Um, A lot of your fruits are low GI as well. Um, And this is a lot of the time because of the fiber component that they have as well. The fiber also helps to slow down digestion. Oh, nice. Okay. This one sounds really delicious. We were saying before this recipe feels a bit like, I don't know, like you're having like a Danish pastry or something like that. I feel like it's a really, really good brunch. So definitely adding that to my list because it sounds yummy. So definitely. The next one, which I think sounds less yummy, but let's see how we go, is um, the trend of drinking lettuce water to help with our sleep. And this one is all about steeping a handful of lettuce leaves in boiling water like you would a loose leaf tea then drinking the liquid um, and fans of it claim that it can support good sleep. What's your take on this? Is there any evidence to back that up? You know, do you know where this might've come from? What's your, what's your take on lettuce tea, Chloe? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually had to look this one up. I was like, that sounds awful. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) it's, it is an interesting one though. So it does come from a very small amount of science, but like a lot of things on the socials, the science has been completely overstated and there's not a lot of science there to back it up yet. So essentially in lettuce, there's a compound called lactucarium and there's another compound as well called hyoscyamine. Um, I hope I pronounced both of those correctly. Now, (laughs) both of these have um, some sedative effects or sedative properties. And there was a study that was published around five years ago that showed that, yeah, consuming lettuce leaves in that had been, oh, sorry, consuming the the liquid from boiled lettuce leaves had some, some mild sedative effects and helped with sleep. However, this study was con- conducted in mice and um, shockingly, we are not mice, so we can't say that that's exactly what's going to happen in humans first and foremost. Secondly, there hasn't been, you know, further studies done in humans to support these effects. So whilst there is a a small amount of science there, it's nowhere near enough to be something that I would be going and recommending people start to do. I mean, you know, if you wanted to have some lettuce tea before you go go to bed each night, then, you know, go go, go hardest. Um, (laughs) There's no real harm to, to doing it. But I wouldn't be going and saying, you know, this is a great hack that's going to, you know, get you that beautiful eight or nine hours sleep that that people are often chasing. I guess as well, like, you know, having any warm drink or warm tea can be, you know, quite nice before bed as part of that bedtime routine anyway. So maybe it's partly any effects can come down to that slightly, that relaxation element that you would get from any other type of non-caffeinated tea perhaps yeah yeah exactly and you know having that bedtime routine where you know you're off your screens and you're having a nice warm drink and you've got a beautiful routine there's a lot to be said for that for helping get to sleep as well so if it's just a part of a nice bedtime routine then it's going to be helping you to get to sleep anyway and even um one of the things that I was reading on this is that a lot of people would have their lettuce tea along with like a chamomile tea or or some other herbal type tea before they go to bed, which, you know, have some some calming properties as well. So, you know, is it that people are saying that it works because they had a chamomile tea with lettuce broth or is it because 
they had the chamomile tea or maybe they had a really good bedtime routine or, you know, so on and so forth. And and this is why it's important that, you know, if people want to have some science to back this, we need to have the studies to back it up. Yeah. Okay, and then moving on to the next one, which is a foodie one again, um, is about the um, movement of the grated egg, grated hard-boiled egg. And this one was created by Sarah Thomas Drawbore, who um, uses at Healthy-ish Foods. And the recipe went huge. She was uh, grating a hard-boiled egg over avocado toast in her case, but she also, I think, did one over pasta as well. And, you know, we've touched a little bit on in the first one with the custard toast about the benefits of eggs. You know, can you talk us through a little bit of those and also what you think about the idea of grating it on meals, you know, whether it's your brekkie, whether it's any other meal, a bowl of pasta or anything like that, you know, what's what's kind of going on here? Do you think it's a, a thumbs up? Yeah, so a, a, a very interesting way of, of choosing to include eggs in your diet. The eggs are a great source of protein. Um, they're also rich in choline, which is in particularly a nutrient of focus in pregnancy, um, they're also a good source of vitamin D and, and some eggs have been fortified with omega-3 fatty acids as well. So you know, there's a there's a number of really important, useful nutrients which can be found in eggs and as well they're they're pretty versatile. So they can be used in all sorts of ways. Um even even grating over your avo toast. For something like the avo toast, you know, I think you know, if you're someone who doesn't really like the texture of a hard-boiled egg or or doesn't really like you know, having a lot of egg at once, it could be a really good way to get some egg into your diet and, and enjoy that in in your meals. Um, because by having it that way, it's you're not going to be getting large mouthfuls of it all at once because of how it's been grated. And yeah, it means that that meal is going to be a little bit more balanced. Any tips for getting this right? I think it's, you know, have a, have a go at it. I feel like the, um, the egg white will probably grate pretty well, whereas the the yolk will probably, I would expect, would maybe crumble a little bit just because of the the fat content that's there. But it probably also depends on how hard the egg has been boiled as well. So, I mean, it's a thumbs up. You know, it's an easy way of getting some some extra nutrition into some of your meals. But I also don't think it necessarily needs to be grated. You could, you know, chuck the whole egg in or you could chop it up into some little pieces. You know, you can get those old school egg slices where you get your boiled egg, chuck it in there and have, do you know what I mean? Like the one where you I don't know. It I, and it's and I was the, like, like <laughs> little strings. I'll I might have to find a picture of one and send it to you. Um, oh my God, you definitely have to find a picture because I'm like, what are, what's going on with these slices <laughs> and the strings? And <laughs> um, I always I remember as a, a kid we had one, and I always thought it looked a bit like a harp, and <laughs> it had these yeah, it's something that my mum must have had like way back in the day. But, you know, that would be a super quick and easy way to just get some slices of egg that, you know, this was for, you know, slicing it to put on a sandwich, but you could then use those slices of eggs in a same way, similar way to what she suggested here with the grating. Yeah. So I think yeah. I've got a picture in my head now of what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, because I love that idea because I, my sister's, she likes egg, but she's a little bit funny about hard boiled. And I think I was going to suggest this one to her because I think if you cook it, through properly like you say to make it you know as grateable as possible I guess in the middle it could be a really nice way to get something on top of something or mix something into it and you know you get that different texture that maybe people might enjoy more so it just gives us another option I guess doesn't it yeah exactly right and I think um you know there's so many different textures you can have with egg as well when you think about the different ways of cooking them so you know by having smaller amounts of that firmer 
cooked option. It might make it a bit easier for some people to enjoy. Yeah. And then speaking of eggs, we can't go past pesto eggs, which has been absolutely huge, which is um, the creation of, well, kind of made big to, uh, thanks to dietitian Amy Wilichowski, who uses that Amy Wilichowski on socials. And basically this is about cooking. So frying, scrambling your eggs in pesto rather than your usual cooking oil or cooking go-to. Um, it sounds yum and people say it's delicious. You know, what do you think of that? That's quite simple, but quite, you know, taste affecting swap. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a really simple, easy way of getting a lot of flavor and some extra nutrition into your your fried or your scrambled eggs. So if you, th- if you think about how pesto is made, pesto is usually mostly made from extra virgin olive oil and then there'll be you know, a range of herbs. So whether it's um, usually, it's usually basil, but whether it's other herbs such as like coriander or parsley or anything like that, um, often some pine nuts or some almonds or walnuts, and then maybe some, some parmesan cheese as well would be the, the main ingredients, particularly in a homemade pesto. So it's a really easy way to add extra flavor and extra nutrients into the meal just by cooking it in there and, and mixing it through. It's going to look quite good as well. I think the main thing I would suggest is to just consider consider how the pesto has been made. So some will have better quality ingredients than others or otherwise, as I was saying, it's very easy to make your own and you know just chuck everything in the blender, blend it all up and you've got your, your pesto that's homemade and doesn't have any of the extra salt or preservatives or anything like that that a store-bought one might have. And I guess as well, you, because it's the base has the oil in it, the eggs will cook almost like they would if it was in like traditional olive oil. Is that right? Yeah, I would expect so, but it probably, it would also, I would expect it depend on how oily it is. So if it's Mm. a sort of a chunkier, drier one, then it might not work so well, but one that does have that quite oily texture, I think it would work beautifully. So it's one that I'm going to go and try myself, I think. Yeah, I was thinking that I love pesto and I never would think to use it in this kind of way. So, yeah, I think it would be a really good one. Yeah, nice. And then moving on to, so we've had lettuce tea. We're about to move on to another drink, which is profi. So protein shake mixed with coffee. And this is all about, you know, making an iced coffee or pouring your coffee over ice and then mixing it with a, um, a protein shake, essentially. So you're getting that protein and the caffeine here at the same time. What do you reckon from a nutritional point of view, uh, from a fitness performance point of view, recovery, anything like that? You know, what's your what's your feeling when it comes to this combo? Yeah, so I have a, I have a number of thoughts um, thinking about <laughs> this. So honestly, my first thought here is that it sounds pretty good. So yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, so by mixing them together, it's an easy way to get that recovery in that you need post-workout from the extra protein and an easy way to get your caffeine hit if you if you're wanting to just get everything all in together so and this is especially the case if it's a milky iced coffee so if you're using whatever choice of milk you prefer to use plus the protein with the with the caffeine in there then that particularly makes a better recovery drink post-workout because of the extra protein that's in the milk and, and the extra carbohydrates that are in the milk as well. I think one, a couple of things to be aware of though are being mindful that you get a performance benefit of consuming caffeine caffeine pre-workout. So caffeine reduces the perception of effort when you're 
exercising. So it helps you to be able to push harder without it feeling like you're pushing harder. So if you're having caffeine before your training session and then you're also having it after your training session, you just need to be mindful of how much you're consuming over the course of the day and ensure that you're not ending up overdoing it. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing this if you'd like to, but just being aware of where the caffeine is coming into your diet. The other thing to just be across, I suppose, is any sugary syrups or things that sometimes get added into iced coffees. So, um, you know, yes, it sort of depends a little bit on your goals. So yes, you need carbohydrate, so sugar post-workout, but you're better off in most instances choosing better choices of carbohydrate than your sugary syrups. So it would depend on your goals and what else you're having for the day and all that sort of thing. But um, in general, that'd be better to have something else. Yeah, because I guess you can kind of, like you were saying, it depends on what you're after because it could be something that people are having as a treat and just to enjoy and, you know, go to town with the cream and the toppings and all the things. But I guess maybe it just depends on if you're doing it as something to fuel a workout, then I guess just to be more mindful in that sense. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you're wanting it to be more of that treat, then, you know, go right ahead. Um, And by adding the protein into it, then it will actually satisfy you for a lot longer than what that iced coffee would without the protein added in because the protein is really helpful from a satiety perspective. So, um, mm. you know, it works well in that instance too. I like this idea because I don't really have protein shakes per se, but I have, you know, smoothies with protein powder and I don't often, but I sometimes it's not, I find it quite nice to put a shot of espresso in cause it goes nicely with banana and things like that. And, mm. um, yeah, so I feel like it could be like delicious, like taste wise. I think it'd be really nice. It's good to know there's like, you know, some nutritional kind of pro points to it. So yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, exactly as you said, I um, I love to recommend having a smoothie that's got, you know, banana and some oats and, and things in it with a shot of coffee before a big training session. And like I know back when I was doing a lot of running, um, that would be what I would often have um, before my long runs on the weekends is that, you know, he's getting my caffeine in as well as getting all of my carbohydrates and things and it tastes really nice as well as you said so yeah it works beautifully <laughs> and then moving on to a trend that I you know I'm interested to see what you think about this because I know it's kind of causing quite a lot of alarm among experts when I was reading about it online is uh, called dry scooping so it's essentially eating pre-workout supplement powder dry so without mixing it with liquid first as it's intended first off can you just tell me a bit about pre-workout and how that actually works and how it's designed to be used. Yeah, of course. So pre-workout is um, is usually a powder, but sometimes it will come as a pre-made drink, but usually it's a powder that um, is intended to be mixed into water and consumed before a workout to help with improving performance in that workout. Now, I was mentioning before about caffeine and it being useful to have before a workout because of how it helps to reduce perception of effort. Now, the main ingredient in pre-workouts is caffeine. There's a bunch of other things in there as well. So often like ginkgo, guarana, taurine, um, sometimes creatine, uh, you know, a whole heap of things are often found in pre-workouts. But regardless, caffeine is the key ingredient in all of them. 
from my perspective, the key danger is if someone is overdoing their intake, and this is regardless of if they're dry scooping or if they're, you know, adding an extra scoop into their water bottle or, you know, having having a couple of scoops and then, you know, going and having their profit afterwards, it can be really easy to overdo the caffeine intake with these supplements. So it's not uncommon to be having, you know, sort of somewhere between 100 milligrams up to sort of three or even three or 400 milligrams in some options, which is a really large amount of caffeine when you when you're starting to look at some of those larger numbers. So my main suggestion is with this is know how much caffeine you're able to tolerate safely and ensure that you don't overdo it. And you know, I think caffeine often gets a a rep as being a little bit harmless and you know you have too much and you just stay awake all night. That's true, but also there's some some pretty nasty side effects to overdoing it. So um, heart palpitations, um, elevated anxiety, um, getting like, shaky hands, even you know in quite extreme situations, it can it can cause heart failure or, or cardiac situations where people end up needing to be hospitalised. So it's um it's not great to overdo it, and with certain pre workouts that are already high in caffeine, where people are having extra serves because of this dry scooping phenomenon, that's where I think a lot of the concern is coming from. Yeah, and I guess that's just not how it's designed to be used. So I think with any products like that, it's best to go with what the instructions say. And yeah, because there there must be the reason for it being mixed with the liquid. Is that to kind of make sure that you, I don't know, get get the dose or the intake that's actually intended and not some big hit at once? Yeah, well, so, you know, in I guess in most cases you wouldn't be pouring it into your drink bottle and then sculling the whole thing at once. So Mm. most people would probably be sipping it over, let's say, the course of half an hour or so maybe, or maybe they're, you know, sipping it on the way to the gym in the morning or something like that. So they're not just getting that single hit of it by having the scoop. And it's certainly not intended to be had that way. To be honest, I'm not sure how the absorption would change, but I would imagine that with it being delivered directly onto your tongue and into your mouth where there's, you know, a lot of absorption can occur, I'd imagine that there's faster absorption of of some of the ingredients in particular, which could certainly have some of those those scary effects that we were talking about. Yeah, so thumbs down for that one, I reckon. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and just, I wanted to ask you actually, just for that, thinking about pre-workout, is that something, you know, because it sounds in general as used as it should be, you know, the idea of using it to boost your workout, but is that something that everyone should look to or what do you think? Is that, you know, we don't need to do that necessarily, do we? Um, it's certainly not something you need. It, it's actually something that I would not usually be recommending because Mm. in most cases like having a cup of coffee is is going to work just the same um and be sufficient or you know there's there's other places of getting caffeine than than coffee but it's the most common one again i'm not a huge fan of the pre-workouts because of the quite large caffeine amounts Mm. that a lot of them have and how easy it is to end up overdoing it 
I think the other thing to consider as well is if you are somebody who's training in the afternoon, say, say you know, you're heading to the gym for a class at six o'clock and then, you know, you're down in your pre-workout at five, thinking that, you know, like this is just going to help me get through the workout. It's not just helping you get through the workout. It's giving yourself that massive caffeine hit, which then will have a, a negative impact on your sleep that night for most people um, mm. because of the, the impact it has on how alert you are. So it's, you know, they it certainly they certainly have their place um, in certain situations, but they're they're something that I that isn't high on the priority list for me when I'm looking at supplements um, for the athletes that I work with to use. Mm. Um, on that, some athletes just adore them and want to have them included, and so you know you can you can incorporate them into a plan for people, but they're certainly not one of those essential things. Yeah. Okay. And then moving on to baked oats, which again, like pesto eggs, we couldn't go past because it's absolutely everywhere. People describe this like eating cake for brekkie. It involves blitzing oats with the likes of banana, egg, a little bit of baking powder, maybe almond milk, a bit of maple syrup, then baking it. And then you kind of do whatever you want in terms of toppings or anything else you want to throw in. Like I've seen people adding in, you know, uh, little chocolate chips and things like that or fruit and I'd love to get your take on this one. It's pretty versatile, but what is that base of the oats, the banana, the egg offering you? And have you got any tips around this one? Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of those mug cakes that were were popular yes. a few years back as well. The nutrient mix with the the low GI carbs from your oats, the protein coming from the egg, um, the fiber and, and things as well coming from the banana too. You know, it, it sounds delicious and it sounds like a really great way of getting a nice breakfast that really does tick a lot of boxes when you're looking at the different pillars from a nutritional perspective. I would be, you know, topping your breakfast cake with some yogurt, some berries, you know, some seeds and things like we're talking about with the the custard toast earlier, Mm. just to really maximize the nutrition, make sure that you're feeling really satisfied. And even you don't even necessarily need to blitz it up because that blitzing it up is going to like break the oats and, and the banana, but the oats in particularly up, which destroy some of the fiber, which means that um, it's broken down a little bit more easily by your body. So if you're leaving them whole, then your body's got to work that little bit harder to break it down, which is good from a gut perspective. So, you know, if you wanted to, you could just mix it all up together and bake it as is, but also nothing wrong with blitzing it and doing it that way. I mean, the other thing you could even do is uh, that mix that mix up with something like some LSA or just some straight flaxseed meal as a way again of just upping the healthy fats and and getting some different nutrients into that as well. So um, very versatile and lots of big ticks there around that one. Um, It's it's a trend that I'm happy to see. (laughs) I'm happy to try, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Ditto. ditto. When you say LSA as well, can you remind me, I'm thinking of the acronym, I'm trying to think what it stands for, if anyone doesn't know. Yeah, so LSA stands for linseed, sunflower, and almond. So it's um, linseeds are also known as flax seeds. And so this is just ground up of each of those nuts or seeds and into a powder so that it mixes really nicely into, into what you might be eating. 
Nice. Yeah. And then moving on to one that's a bit more of a lunchtime dinner kind of one potentially is the salmon rice bowl. So Emily Mariko, who uses at Emily Mariko, went viral for this recipe, which mixes leftover cooked salmon with rice and toppings like avocado, kimchi, soy sauce, sriracha and dried seaweed. And this sounds like a bit of a powerhouse. I love this idea. It sounds delicious. You know, what do you reckon like any tips for getting the most from that salmon and rice combination yeah I completely agree with you Alex this one sounds really great it's ticking all the boxes here with with your carbohydrates for energy the protein the healthy fats from the salmon more healthy fats from the avo and then the the kimchi being a fermented veggie is is really great from a gut health perspective seaweed has some really great nutritional benefits as well um you know i could go on so really love to see this one the only little tweak i'd even say for this is you could pretty easily add you know like a handful of some some mixed salad or some some shredded leaves or something like that into the bowl just to um, to get that balance a little bit better with aiming to, to incorporate some more veggies into the meal, but otherwise it sounds pretty ace. So delicious. Easy way to make yourself a poke bowl at home. It is. And it's nice as well because you can obviously have the salmon that you cook yourself, but I know in the supermarkets they have the ones that are the kind of the hot smoked or cooked already kind of ones that are easy enough to use. So it just it's pretty versatile, lots of options and stuff there. So, yeah, I really like the sound of that one. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Moving on to the next one, which I think a lot of people will have seen because it was created by um, Shawane Mears, who uses At Nature's Food, and became even more popular after Lizzo tried and loved it and put that on her account. And this is Nature's Cereal, it's been called. And it's a brekkie, essentially, where you combine blueberries, blackberries, and pomegranate seeds, and then you top it with coconut water. So that's essentially the, quote, you know, milk component to your cereal. Tell me about this and what you think about this, because it looks really delicious, and Lizzo loved it. And if anyone has seen that video of Lizzo trying it on her TikTok, it's got such an ASMR soothing kind of vibe as she's trying it. It really looks lovely. Um, But what are the nutritional benefits of this combination? You know, could this be a good breakfast, or have you got any tips to kind of add to it in that sense yeah so it's I completely agree it sounds really delicious with with all those berries and pomegranate seeds and everything but it's not a breakfast at best it's a light snack there's not a lot of of calories protein carbohydrate fat in this mix it's a really great source of you know a lot of your antioxidants and polyphenols and things get a little bit of carbohydrate from the coconut water, but um, it's certainly not going to be enough to sustain anyone for breakfast. That said, you could use it as as a light snack on a day where you've got lower energy requirements. Um, otherwise, it would be pretty easy to upgrade this with adding in some oats or some yogurt or both in order to make it a much more well-rounded meal. Yeah, or even have something alongside it as well just to bump it up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it could even be something that you might have as like a bit of a dessert after lunch or dinner as something that's nice and light and tasty and refreshing. So certainly something to include, but not not really on its own how it is. That's what I thought of it as almost more like, yeah, something I'd maybe have as like, yeah, a snack or a treat or something like that that could be really nice. And um, yeah, especially if it's warm weather outside, really refreshing as well. And because it's hydrating, I guess, with the coconut water. Yeah. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, I was even imagining that you might blend it up and make it into a bit of a like frappe and put a bunch of ice in there or something as well. It might be quite tasty. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that idea. Mm. And then the last one I wanted to talk to you about is the trend of drinking chlorophyll water or chlorophyll supplement drops people are adding to their water. And fans of that claim that it can support things like clearer skin, uh, overall well-being, even eliminating body odour. And I just wanted to start off with, you know, what are we talking about here? You know, what is what is this chlorophyll supplement? Um, and then we can move into, yeah, any of sort of the claims and what you think. Yeah, so, so chlorophyll is a compound that um, it's what makes plant leaves green. So um, it's got some some really great health benefits, but you're better off eating your green veggies than you are taking chlorophyll as a supplement. There's there's no real good evidence to support using chlorophyll supplements and, and the health benefits that, that are claimed there, but there's loads of studies that support eating plenty of green leafy veggies and and eating enough of those. So I would be suggesting that, you know, if you want to take the supplement, you can, but you'd be definitely better off going and consuming plenty of veggies each day, aiming for that five serves that your body requires. Yeah. And then you get even more, I guess, nutritional uh, bang for your buck essentially from that. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, particularly when it comes to um, a lot of vitamins, eating not in every case, but in a lot of cases, eating the food is is better than taking the supplement. You know, we don't know all there is to know about vitamins and supplements at this point in time. And, you know, vitamins can be great as a as a support, but not as a instead of. So by having plenty of veggies and, and eating what you need each day, rather than just relying on something like a chlorophyll supplement, you're going to get much better results. One of the things that people talk about with this one is this idea of it benefiting our skin. I wondered as an alternative, you know, what are some of the things you tips you can give with what we eat with how that can benefit our skin? Yeah, certainly. So um, eating, as I mentioned before, eating your five serves at least of veggies each day, aiming for a nice variety of different colors, including, you know, beautiful berries and, and other fruits um, because of the antioxidants that they contain is really important. Vitamin C is a really important one when it comes to the health of our skin. Um, also, including plenty of your healthy fats. So whether that's from like your avocado, your extra virgin olive oil, your nuts and seeds, um, or it might be from from things like like your more sort of fatty or oily fish like salmon or tuna. Um, those omega-3 fatty acids are really great from an anti-inflammatory perspective um, in the fish and the other healthy fats are really great for helping to keep your skin nice and healthy. Another one of my favorites is um, is oysters. So um, because of the zinc that they have, it helps from a, a healing perspective to help with keeping your skin nice and strong. That'd be my, my main favorite foods when it comes to, to skin. Nice. There's your salmon and rice bowl right there with the oily exactly. fish. <laughs> Nailing it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Chloe, thanks so much. And I think, you know, I know I've taken away so much from this, whether it's, you know, insights about the trends, but also inspiration for what I'm going to go make over the next <laughs> however many days. But if you could only leave us with one key tip when it comes to our nutrition and our well-being, what would it be? Well, this is a toughie. And, and I think in essence of this chat, it's about, you know, just checking where you're getting your nutri- nutrition info from. And you know, if it is that secret TikTok trend, there are chances that there is maybe a bit of a level of, of BS around it. But my, my favorite 
nutrition tip is encouraging people to eat more plants. So there's some really, really great evidence around eating a variety um, of different plants each week. So your fruits, your veggies, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds and aiming to eat at least 30 different plants across the course of the week. The evidence around this is absolutely fantastic and really supports from a longevity perspective, uh, improving your health on a day-to-day basis, reducing risk of chronic disease. I could go on and on. So that would be my favourite one. That's the magic number. All right, brilliant. (laughs) Chloe, thanks so, so much for joining us. And yeah, thanks. Let's speak soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Chloe and Alex. For more great resources to help you on your health and wellness journey, grab a copy of Women's Health Australia or visit us at womenshealth.com.au. This episode was hosted by Alex Davies and produced by me, Lisa Gebilagin. Thank you and see you next time.